Welcome to the Outpost Church Podcast. Here's our message from our recent Sunday gathering. We hope you're encouraged. If you have a Bible nearby, I encourage you to open it up. Any guesses where we're going? Oh, Colossians. How did you know, Crystal? So we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3, starting at verse 12. We've got a bunch of Bibles down here in the rows. I strongly encourage everyone to have a Bible open in front of you. Feel free for that to be a phone. Feel free for that to be one of these Bibles. Uh, but let's open up to Colossians chapter 3 and starting in verse 12. I want to add my welcome to Beth's before. Uh, we do have a few that are visiting us today. Um, and yeah, you are very, very welcome here. Um, it's a really unique thing that we get to be family together. Um, I have some relatives that are here today, um, and Nathan, who's joined us before, great to have you back, um, but also my cousins once removed, um, so Josh, Dan, and Lauren are joining us, and they're, I was going to say from WA, they're from all over the place, and at the moment, um, just great to have you here in, in Adelaide with us. Um, yeah, so welcome to everyone. Uh, and we're going to start off with Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, raise your hand if you're one of God's chosen ones. Wow, how's that for a response? Sometimes people are like hesitant to put their hand up, but you guys just went for it. God's chosen ones. Yeah. Has that kind of vibe, doesn't it? Special ones. God's chosen ones. It's interesting how that works, doesn't it? Because you want to be the chosen one. But this is the chosen ones. So it's not just you that is the chosen one. But there's a whole bunch of chosen ones. And that is good news. It is a very good thing that it is not all on Rob. It's a very good thing that it's not all on me. It is a very good thing that it is Jesus that took all the responsibility upon himself, but now we are his chosen ones. And if we backtrack just a little bit, and the classic line, this starts with the word therefore. What is the therefore therefore? Well, the previous verse, verse 11, it says, In Christ there is not Greek and Jew. The Jews were the chosen ones. If you were a Jew, everyone else was a what? Gentile. If you were a Greek, everyone else was a barbarian. These are titles that indicated blessing. Being a Greek, being a Jew, it was being a chosen one. But these were things that you were born into and you couldn't change. The circumcision, un uncircumcision, Obviously, that was done to someone, but it was based on a cultural um, practice. And so all of those titles are things that couldn't change. We've got a very similar list uh, elsewhere in Scripture, um, in Galatians, and it adds male and female. And so you have these things that are often massive things when it comes to our identity. But here we hear 
we continue on, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. So the start of that was in Christ there is not. So when you are in Christ, being in Christ is bigger than any of those other identities. And anything that was of benefit to the Jews is of benefit to us, anyone that is in Christ, anyone that has said yes to Jesus, repented and believed in him, trusted in Jesus, then that is true of us. We are the chosen ones. It is a big deal to be chosen. I've been reflecting on Zacchaeus a little bit. And here is someone who was an outcast as far as the Jewish people were concerned. And he seemed to be doing all right for himself financially. But for his fellow Jews that saw Jesus single out Zacchaeus, it seemed ridiculous. Why would Jesus stop for that guy? He's a traitor. He's a Jew, but he's chosen to bat for the other team. He's chosen to actually oppress his fellow Jews for the benefit of another king. And yet, if you could imagine that you were um, one of his regular, um, I was going to say clients, probably not the right word, but uh, if you were someone that had to pay your taxes to, to Zacchaeus, and here he is, and he knocks on your door. You open the door, it's like, oh, no, it's Zacchaeus. But what if when you open the door and you're waiting, you know, okay, I've got to go and find enough money to satisfy this guy. But he goes, no, 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 just wait, just wait. I actually stitched you up 10 grand. And so here is $40,000 to make good on what I did before. What Jesus did in choosing Zacchaeus massively benefited Zacchaeus, but it also massively benefited that whole community. It was a game changer. When Jesus chooses one person, everybody benefits. So we are all chosen ones, but the idea is that it not only benefits us, but it benefits the whole community. He didn't spend a lot of time with Jesus before he said, I'm going to give half of what I have to the poor, and if I've cheated anyone, I will pay them back four times as much. Not much time with Jesus, and that was the response that he gave. But we continue on. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy, raise your hand if you're holy. Someone's like, oh. If, well, let's go back to Colossians chapter 1. So verse 21. Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds, expressed in your evil actions. Who finds that easier to take on than being declared holy? Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds, expressed in your evil actions. But now... He has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. Holy, faultless, and blameless before him. So God is holy, 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 
And the one who is holy, holy declares that you are holy, faultless and blameless before him. Before him. Like we think back to, to David when he messed up royally. Psalm 51, he says, before you only God have I sinned. So he did something that messed up someone's life. And he says, before you only have I sinned. Whenever we sin against someone else, we are sinning against God. So this is telling us that we, can be whole, we are holy, faultless, and blameless before him. It comes with an if. So verse 23, if indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Faith and hope. Our faith is in Jesus and our hope is in Jesus. If that is true, then we are holy, faultless, and blameless. So here we are chosen. Here we are holy. And the next one, dearly loved. Dearly loved. That is your reality. You are chosen. You are holy. And you are dearly loved. I want to sit with this for just a minute longer. Who has, out of those three, the hardest time receiving the chosen part? If you had to pick one of those three that was the hardest for you to receive, who finds it hardest to receive the fact that you were chosen? Raise your hand if that's you. You have been chosen. You have been chosen. You have been chosen. Who finds the holy part the hardest? <laughs> You're more than one, Rob. You're going to put your hand for all three, aren't you? You are holy. To be holy is to be set apart. So God is completely other. All right? He is holy. And he is pure. We are set apart for him. Our purpose is that we would have faith in him, that we would have our hope in him, and that we would reflect him to others. But for a starting point, we just receive the fact that we have been made holy. It's all his work. We think back to what we just read in chapter 1, how we were alienated and hostile in our minds, expressed in our evil actions. So that's what we contributed. But he made us holy. This is not a statement that you need to go and make yourself holy. This is a declaration that you have been made holy, distinct and different. And dearly loved, who finds that the most challenging? You're dearly loved. It's interesting, isn't it? There's a, only a couple for the first and the last. Most of us found holy the most challenging, but you are dearly loved. Dearly loved. Not as a, we'll see how you perform today, kind of loved, but you are dearly loved, rejoiced in, delighted in. That is our reality. That we have been chosen, we are holy, and we are dearly loved. And those things are an absolute game changer.
Who here is feeling experientially what I've just talked about? Who has a sense of God's love for them and their chosenness? See a couple of hands? A few hands? Awesome. Who's not feeling it? Sort of not, yeah. I think our reality is so often that we're not feeling it. And we talked about this last week. There's this tension between just being honest about what's going on and saying, this is me at the moment. And acknowledging the lowercase t truth and the uppercase t truth. So the lowercase t truth is just my truth right now is that I am not aware of his love for me. So in a particular moment, I'm more aware of something I need to do. I'm more aware of a thing that's coming up or maybe something that's just happened and I'm thinking about it. That's a bigger thing for me than God's love. And it is so important for us to be honest about these things. If I'm honest about myself though, often it's been... I'm aware of it. I'm like, yeah, I'm just not, not feeling it today. Not feeling God's love. Not feeling that I'm, I'm chosen, that I'm holy, and I'm dearly loved. And that becomes what plays out over the course of the day. And so I'm trying to get stuff. Or I'm trying to find other ways in order to experience what is a gift from God simply as a birthright and what Jesus has done for me. But that's the lowercase t truth. It's a smaller truth. I need to acknowledge it and go, yep, I'm not aware of it right now. But the bigger capital T truth is what he has done for me and what he declares about me. And just to simply say, I'm not feeling it yet. I don't feel aware of your love right now. But I declare to myself and to the heavenlies that I'm loved. I am chosen, I am holy, I am dearly loved. And some of us need to focus on that part because it's about us. We find it hard to receive that for ourselves. Some people find that incredibly hard. But it, like Zacchaeus, the fact that Zacchaeus understood it blessed everybody. When we understand it, it blesses everybody because it changes how we behave. Not trying to get something, but because we've received more than we can handle. We have to share it. We have to give it. It's too much. So my encouragement to myself and to each of us is let's declare the ultimate truth, but also be honest about how we're going in the moment. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If. There we go. Another if. The first one that we come across here. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If. Conditional forgiveness. We only have to forgive in one circumstance. What is it? 
when do we have to forgive according to this? Yeah. Forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. So if you don't have a grievance against someone, you don't have to forgive. That's the conditional forgiveness. But it continues on. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Who's been forgiven something by the Lord? Who's been forgiven more by the Lord than we will ever get racked up as a debt by somebody else? I've been forgiven more than... There is no comparison. There is a beautiful parable that Jesus tells or a very confronting parable that Jesus tells of an unmerciful servant. He tells a story of someone who is indebted to a ridiculous degree. And he comes before the king. The king is calling in all of his debtors, comes before him and he pleads, just give me more time. And the king forgives him the debt. And then he goes out and he finds someone that owes him something and the same thing plays out. This guy, just give me more time. He says, no, off to jail with you. This person who was forgiven an astronomical sum cannot bring himself to forgive the other person. And my best understanding of that is that they didn't realise they were actually forgiven. They didn't really comprehend that they had nothing left to pay. Didn't need to get something from someone else because his debt was wiped out. It was gone. He was free. But he didn't act accordingly. Didn't understand that he had been fully forgiven. So for us, there is no condition on it. If we have been wronged, we are to forgive. It doesn't mean that we put ourselves in a position where they're in authority over us and we're being abused by them. But we are to forgive We are to release that debt. And this is why I want to go back over what we just read and have a look at the things that we're told to put on. As God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion. If you've got someone that's wronged you and you put on compassion and you look at them with compassion, you will see someone who has been wronged. You will see someone who doesn't fully appreciate who they are and what's been done for them, therefore they wronged you. Compassion is a game changer, as is kindness. These are all the qualities of Jesus. This is what he has shown to us. And he's not saying, he doesn't say, just drum up some compassion. Create some compassion. No, put it on. He gives it to us as a gift And we simply receive his gift that then benefits others. Put on the compassion that he freely gives. And that is a conscious thought. You say, I choose compassion right now. I choose kindness. I choose humility. To actually not think so much about myself, but thinking about the other. Thinking about the magnificence of God. And choosing gentleness. And choosing patience, we are not in a hurry. We put on these things. It's what we've 
been shown and it's what we get to wear. We get to verse 14. Above all, put on love. So love is all those things that we just read about. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. At the moment, I'm trying to solve a problem with my trampoline. My mother-in-law tried to solve this problem a while back and she did a pretty good job of it. She stitched up a tear in the trampoline. But over time and wear, that tear has become a hole. We can't stitch it anymore. It is just too wide, too big to be stitched. And so Gorilla Tape is the closest thing that we've come to that kind of works. And we've got the netting around the trampoline that we tried stitching that as well, and then the Gorilla Tape and other things. We are trying to bond these things together and there is so much that is stopping these things from actually being bonded together. We live in a world where there is so much that would stop us from being bonded together. We are created to be in unity with one another. And there is diversity in this room. And a number of you haven't met each other yet, um, but there is diversity in this room. There is diversity in every space that we go into. And there are going to be things that we disagree on. But we are called to love one another. Above all, put on love. The message paraphrase says, never be without love. It is your basic, all-purpose garment. Always putting it on. It is what you wear. And it is the perfect bond of unity. It's not an okay bond. It's not a decent substitute because we can't find the ultimate bond right now. It is the perfect bond of unity. And then it continues on. And let the peace of Christ, to which you are also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. This metaphor of the body is right throughout the New Testament. We are all members of the one body. We have different functions. We don't all do the same thing. We do different things. But we are all members of the same body. There is no point my fist fighting against my knee. There is no point my ear fighting against my toe. It's only going to cause pain to both. But at the same time, my toe is not to submit to my ear. My knee is not to submit to my hip. Everything is to submit to what? The head. So we go to the previous page, verse 19. Speaking of someone... We'll go to verse 18. Let no one condemn you by delighting in ascetic practices, depriving yourself of a heap of stuff, and the worship of angels, claiming access to a visionary realm. Such people are inflated by empty notions of their unspiritual mind. And then here's the connected bit. He doesn't hold on to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons, grows with growth from God. 
Now, I'm no doctor, but I know that a body needs a head. If your body becomes disconnected from the head, it doesn't stand a chance. The head is vitally important. And what happens in this case? It grows with growth from God. We grow as the body as we all submit to the head. So it's not about us lording over each other, requiring that we submit and go, you think different to me, so you need to start thinking the same as me. No. The perfect bond of unity is the love that we put on. And we choose to see others the same way that we are seen by Jesus. And what did he do? He died for us. This metaphor of the body is also spoken of in chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 24, where Paul says, Now, I rejoice in my sufferings for you. Who has ever rejoiced in their sufferings? Amen. This is not a new thought for Paul. This is a consistent thing. But it sounds strange. I rejoice in my sufferings for you. And I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body. That is the church. What is lacking in Christ's afflictions? So that first concept, now rejoice in my sufferings for you. We see that a bit through the New Testament. The idea that something is lacking in Christ's afflictions. I can't think of anywhere to back that one up. But what I find a little bit funny is that in this verse, Paul finishes off by saying what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body. That is the church. The one thing that he explains out of what he's just said is the most obvious thing. He's just said it a few verses earlier, the body which is the church. He's already told us that the body is the church. He's like, I just want to clear up for you now that I've said that something is lacking in Christ's afflictions. And that is that when I speak of the body, I mean the church. (laughs) Thanks, Paul. (laughs) Thanks for that. That's really, really helpful. But we keep reading. I have become its servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. Paul is a servant of the gospel, a servant of the church. And so when he's filling up in his flesh or completing in his flesh what is lacking, the only thing lacking in Christ's afflictions is our apprehension of them. By his wounds we are healed. We talked about knowledge and understanding last week and how we want to grow in our knowledge, but we also want to grow in our application. We don't want to be, I'm just an understanding person or I'm just a practical person. We want to be both, growing in our understanding and growing in our application of it. What Paul, I believe, is saying here is that the lack is that people don't understand what's been done for them. And so he is personally demonstrating his love for them, which is really Christ's love for them, through his own physical suffering. 
He is suffering on their behalf, and that wakes them up to the reality of what Christ has suffered for them. There is no lack in what Christ accomplished on the cross. It is complete. However, there is a lack in our receipt of what he has done for us. And that's what Paul is seeking um, to fill up. And so for us as part of the body, we have this opportunity to help others to see that they are chosen, holy and dearly loved. The end of verse 15 says three words, and be thankful. You'll see that if you look down at the end of each of these final three verses in this section. The end of verse 16 says, with gratitude in your hearts. Verse 17 ends with giving thanks to God the Father through him. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. We've talked about this before, but I'll ask you the question again. Who are you singing to, according to verse 16? Who are you singing to? Yeah, what well says to God in there? Has anyone got a different answer? Teaching and monitoring one another through psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. And so it is for each other and it is for him. It's to each other and it's to him. And we do it with gratitude in our hearts. Just like putting on compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness and patience, putting on thankfulness is a game changer as well. Because if you come in with that gratitude, then you miss so much of the stuff that might bring a reaction from you. Love covers over a multitude of sins. And I think gratitude does something pretty similar. Verse 17. And whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Someone wrote a book called Praying Backwards. And I haven't read the book, but I really like the concept. And the concept is that instead of just saying in Jesus' name at the end of your prayer, is you start in Jesus' name. Just so that instead of it being your final thought, it is your first thought. You come to him and it's like, I come to you in Jesus' name. And it's a shift in our thinking. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. My brother-in-law likes, even though he's not a doctor, he likes to give the name doctor um, if he's ordered a coffee. Um, and so people call out um, and he's like, did someone call for a doctor um, as he goes up to, to take it? Um, it hasn't come back to bite him as yet. Uh, but there is a responsibility that comes in taking somebody else's name. When you take someone else's name, you take their authority. And for us, it's not just a thing that we say at the end of a prayer in Jesus' name. We are to live in Jesus' name. We are to spend time talking with people in Jesus' name. We are to do everything in his name. 
it's as though we are representing him, isn't it? When we do it in his name. That's the whole purpose of this, that we would be good representatives of him. Just like Zacchaeus, who actually saw what I would imagine would be quite a shift in his community. For us, as we apprehend what has been done for us, we get to respond in generosity to others because we understand how generous he's been with us. And so we come with that humility and we respond with humility. I want to invite the band to come up. And I want us, um, yeah, take a moment just as the band comes up and just sit with this for a minute. You are holy, chosen, and dearly loved. Blameless, faultless. All these things have been spoken over you as a gift. The only thing that we contribute in this space is that we trust in Jesus and we put our hope in him. And so if someone came to mind when we were talking about forgiveness, you don't need to deny that they have done the wrong thing by you. Forgiveness actually acknowledges wrong. But in forgiving, you release yourself as you release them. And I just encourage you, if someone does come to mind, start that process. And it's not denying that it's hard. Sometimes with forgiving someone, it is just a a simple thing of, I forgive you. Other times we say, I forgive you, and then we find this thing just rising up in us where we find that hard and I don't know the things that have happened for you that come to mind but he does God does and he is able to help you to forgive there's no other way we've not given any opt-out of this but it is something that he empowers us to do you don't do it alone